Welcome to Meet the New Boss, a riveting podcast series exploring how business leaders make their way in the world and how music has influenced who they have become. Here are your hosts, Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Neva. Okay, welcome to another riveting episode of Meet the New Boss. I'm Jeff Niebuhr. And I'm Vince Catanzaro. Thanks for joining us this week. We want you to uh, make sure you go out and like and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us out. Um, so we want all five-star ratings, um, but if they give a one-star, Vince, what should they do? They should uh, call you out in the one-star rating. Call me out. That's great. So... Um, we're recording in the kind of the dead of winter. It's cold and rainy out. It's, uh, shorter days, uh, lots of inside. Vince, do you use music to, uh, get you going in the winter? Like, uh, what's your playlist or approach to music in the winter versus, you know, spring, summer, fall? Do you, is that change at all? It does. I, you know, I actually will create playlists and, uh, name them, you know, winter, 2020 summer 2021 um but uh, i listen to a bunch of different things you know recently so my son uh, i think i shared this in an earlier episode i have a son with cerebral palsy he's in a wheelchair he's an adult he's 25 and i think due to my influence he listens to a lot of the best of alice cooper on his uh, alexa devices wow and you know music for me you know, when I went to work professionally in the early 90s, you know, it kind of, you know, kind of stopped uh, the collecting of CDs and LPs and, and those kind of things. And and so I was a big Alice Cooper fan, 70s and into the 80s. And, you know, when I was in college, I think the uh, the album that has the song Poison, which was a big hit for him, was on it. But then it then it kind of fell off. And there's a song that's in the movie Wayne's World called Feed My Frankenstein, which I never really listened to before. But in this best of Alice Cooper on Amazon Music, it it plays a lot. And as I've been listening to it recently, I'm thinking, man, that musically is a really good song. So I did, you know, I went out and I looked up, like, hey, you know, he always has different bands and different artists playing on his record, so it's not like a consistent thing. So I looked up the musicians in that song and found out that that's like the only recording ever that has both Steve Vai and Joe Satriani playing guitar on it. Really? Yeah, that's cool. No, then no wonder why I love the song. The guitars rock. Yeah, those are your heroes. Yeah, man, those are. Uh, I mean, you remember Steve Vai? Did you ever see Crossroads with Ralph Macchia? I have seen it. Yeah, you know, Steve Vai was the ago. one he uh, was, I guess, you know, guitar dueling with at the end of it. That's right. Yeah, that was even when he was purposely messing up. He was awesome. So you know, my uh, my girlfriend and I did this southern trip last summer and recorded songs at several locations and we recorded right there at the crossroads um where that whole folklore is about we rented this cool little shack um and set up a mobile recording studio and we recorded crossroads blues and we recorded a man in constant sorrow 
couple Elvis tunes because Tupelo is not too far away. And then we made our way to Tupelo and then to Muscle Shoals. So that was fun. That's that album. Uh, the name of our group is My Forever DJ, and the album is called Southern Hotspots. It's going to be out in a few months, so that's exciting. Nice. And a winter, I'm going to give you my little winter connection, too. One you'll like and one I don't think you'll know. The one that you'll know and like is the video by Rush of, like, I think Tom Sawyer. And they're in their cool studio in Canada, and it looks like it's at negative 100 degrees outside, and it's snow drifts. Is that Tom Sawyer or Limelight? One of those two, I think. I don't know the video. I know both songs. Very yeah, long. yeah. I, I, I knew you would know both songs. <laughs> That's your genre, right? Oh, okay. yeah. So, anyhow, I always think of that as far as, like, um, a very winter's morn and jamming out. I feel like Rush is particularly a winter kind of musical experience. Yeah. Maybe because they're from Canada. They're also very technical, right? It's like a, mm -hmm. and, you know, when you're in an um, engineering mood, right? Yeah. You know, they're very precise. Neil Pert, very yeah. Is he did he pass or is he very I sick? I think so. He passed. Yeah, yeah that was recently. recently. Yeah, he, but he was uh, very technical, accurate. The drummer's drummer. Yeah, a, a percussionist. I think it says on the album. Percussionist. Oh, and yes. I think on the albums he's the percussionist. <laughs> so the other winter thing I would throw out there that you probably don't know is uh, REM's third album. Reconstruction of the Fables, or Fables of the Reconstruction, was recorded in London in the winter of 85, I think. And I've read, you know, the band talk about it. You know, it's just pre-REM blowing up to be the most popular band and greatest band there ever was, as we've already discussed. So they're right on the cusp of that. They had a lot of success with a kind of earlier jangly poppy. This, they were like, it was miserable to go from where they were staying to this studio in London, and they just weren't ready for the London cold and wet and gray. And if you go listen to that album, it definitely played a part in the songs. It's murky, slower tempoed, and drudgy sounding is like all the bright poppy jangly stuff of their first couple albums is is somewhat missing uh, and in fact all, i think all four members of the band will say that they almost broke up they every one of them almost is like this is it i'm done i'm catching a cold here i'm gonna die in london in this terrible winter and it's not worth it but they obviously persevered and went on to become, as Vince, you must agree, the greatest American rock and roll band of all time. Yeah, I think that is a common <laughs> sentiment in Athens, Georgia. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to break out some, like, Dixie Dregs on me or something. No, no. It's going to be uh, the R.E.M. All right, so... Cool. That's a little, uh, I, I do think music is different in the winter and than it is in the summer. Um, I think people are looking for different things, so that's good. That's our two little tips. So I think this episode, we want to talk about um, more soft skills and success in how to drive um, team members. I mean, the somewhat theme of our podcast is we don't want 
bosses to be like the old boss, right? I mean, that's the the key line from that song from the Who, meet the meet the new boss, same as well. And so many bosses are um, not as awesome as they could be, and so we're hoping that that people become awesome. So I'm going to launch into a little bit. This is some of its theory, but a lot of its new stuff. So. If you think about um, how we interact when we work, it's only been, I don't know, a couple hundred years that humans have had to figure out how to work together. I guess outside the military, the military has always had structure and order and teams. But if you think about pre-industrial revolution, most people were farmers, right? If there was any industry at all, it was kind of like cottage industry where it was maybe you and a neighbor building little widgets or whatever in your house. Um, but it wasn't until you kind of have mass factories and, and, and tons of people that you had to organize differently. And so there was this interesting, you know, maybe 100 years ago, so the 20s or whatever, there was this lighting factory. And I may not get all the details right. This is a, coming from my memory, like the Hawthorne Lighting Company. And they built lights and they had a factory and this, you know, they wanted to improve their efficiency. And so... They had this theory, this consultant, I guess, had this theory, hey, let's go increase the lighting. You know, there's so many thousand looms per, you know, square meter, whatever it was. Like, what if we bump that thing up to 1,200? It's pretty cheap, but people are using their hands and maybe this will help them, you know, do, you know, make more, more lights per hour than they were previously. And so they did. They went in there and did a couple weeks of measuring well, how efficient is everybody, how effective, how many, you know, lights per hour, per man, you know, woman hour, man hour. And then they increased the lighting, you know, by 20%. And they, they saw productivity jump. It was amazing. Almost the same amount, like 20%. So it's pre-Excel, obviously, but some nerd is there, right, and graphing all this out. And then they, well, listen, do it again. So they increased it like another 20%. Productivity goes up again. Can't believe it. And so then one insightful, um, I like to think, M MBA in intern, one insightful person on the team is like, hey, let's take it below the base level. Let's take it below what we started with and see what happens. Will it go down? You know, so now they want to take it down like 35 percent and they do. And guess what happens? Production goes up. Production goes up and that baffled them for a long time. But the end answer was people are much more complex than turn this light up and you will work harder. And it had a lot to do with people believing they were being measured and so they were working harder. And so each change put in um, different internal motivations. And so Jack Welch, um, not Jack, Lee Iacocca used to do this at GM. He would, he came in, we first came chairman at GM, he went to a factory and he says, uh, you know, do we, you know, are we making more cars on which shift? And he's like, well, the night shift makes 97 cars and the, and the day shift makes about 107 on average. And he's trying to figure out why. So n nobody could really tell him I mean, a lot about, oh, worker, da, 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 da. So he got a big, piece of chalk and he went and wrote on the shop floor at the end of the shift, day shift, how many cars did they make? It was like 108 that day. So he just wrote down 108 and then walked away. Guess how many cars the night shift built that night? 109. 
109. That's exactly right. You see that coming, right? So these, you know, these high-powered VPs have been working for years trying to maximize efficiency, and they were missing a really critical component, which is humans are not robots. And I think sometimes um, when we're in business, we almost want to treat humans as if they're robots. So what's your kind of experience? Does that jive with what you've experienced, or what do you think? So, yeah, I think a couple of things. So one is, you know, and I think you had mentioned Malcolm Gladwell in the past and and the uh, book Blink. And one of the things I had gotten out of that book, um, a lot of what's happening in a blink of a decision has to do with heart rate in humans. And, you know, if you think about like basketball players, when they're in the zone, everything is going down, right? They're kind of operating at a heart rate that is peak performance. But when our heart rate continues to go a little bit higher, there's a dramatic drop-off, right? It's kind of the top of the bell curve. Or if it goes lower, there's a drop-off. And so, you know, I've heard of these experiments with companies where they're like, okay, well, hey, here's the expectation. You make 100 cars. If you make 100 cars in six hours versus eight hours, go home in six hours. And then what they would do is, and then as they you know, prove that they could be productive in those six hours and start stretching those, you know, that same production level up. And then at some point that'll burn people out, right? So there is, you know, a, a top of the bell curve model for people, right? It has to be sustainable. And in my industry and uh, in recruiting and dealing with people, it's a, it's a high activity industry and you have to maintain a high level of activity, but you have to be careful that you don't set a pace that you can't maintain, right? So you, you got to get into a rhythm of high activity that's maintainable because if you come out of the gates, and I've seen this a bunch of times, just killing it for three months, but you set this pace that you just can't, as a human being, you can't maintain it. And then also you crash and you fall off the, you fall off the cliff on the other end. And then then you spiral down and it's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Right. So, so there's a, so there's a balance in that. I believe that, you know, leaders are, are trying to uh, connect to another thing that's been in my mind recently that you, you happen to bring up is kind of how in the military of working together and the concern of mine with how much remote work is going on is kind of the difference between instruction and teaching, right? Like, so like instructors in the military, it's hand over hand. It's repetitive. It's over and over and over again. Here's how you clean your gun. Here's how you shoot your gun. Here's how you march. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to march. Well, by the end of this week, you'll be perfect at marching, right? Because we're going to march and march and march. We're going to do it together. I'm going to be out there with you. I'm going to march, 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 right? Well, so now the hand over hand, doing things together, being together, talking through things together part of instruction i'm afraid is going away and it's more of like hey here's how you do it go do it and it's not the hand over hand you're losing that instruction piece and i don't know if there's been any studies about it this last year if there's an impact on the um ability of knowledge transfer um that we're uh -huh. that we're going through um but I, I i do wonder like uh, to me it seems like it has to be something that's brewing behind the scenes 
Yeah, it'll be interesting um, how this year has been unique in the last 10,000 years of total migration to remote work. You know, there's like an evolution of, we talked about agriculture to industrial, to information society, to now this remote work and what's the long-term impact. Probably people don't know. So I had another little, right on the same little uh, piece, there's this great article, you probably aware of the Harvard Business Review, um, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago about emotional intelligence or EQ. And it's kind of buzzwordy, um, and most people know about it, but in general, it's how you um, can measure the, um, the emotional capability of humans to kind of interact and how it relates to business. And so um, that's a great resource. Maybe we could put a link or something on the podcast. So, but I want to talk about it in this study that I amazingly heard about in TikTok, which is hilarious that TikTok now has legitimate, interesting <laughs> stories. It was a lady talking about Google, you know, one of the most successful companies, certainly in the last 20, 30 years. Um, they did a study, it was called Project Aristotle. And so they, um, they're a pretty forward-thinking company. I know some folks that work there, um, and they have a very set view of culture and how are they improving. And so they do a lot of 360 reviews, and, they're, and so this project combed through all these 360 reviews and then regular reviews, promotion history, firing history, people getting written warnings. And they started to try to bubble up, well, who, what are the characteristics of our top performers? And um, they published this uh, result, and there was 10 uh, that they published. Interestingly, number 10, so the bottom of their top 10 list, still important, but 10 was the STEM skills, technical skills. It was just amazing that like Google is the tech company of the last 20, 30 years. And so I'm just going to list the top seven. That's what I had from this TikTok. Um, so number one was being a good coach. All right. Isn't that great? Number two, communicating and listening well. Number three, possessing insight into others and including others' differing points of view and values. Number four, having empathy for and towards one's colleagues. So all four of those, those top four, those are all high, kind of high EQ um, things. The next three are kind of more high IQ things. So number five is being a good critical thinker. So it's different than having that technical skill, but critical thinking, asking questions, being curious. Six is very similar, being a good problem solver. Uh, and then seven, being able to make connections across complex ideas. Um, the other was I did a little research outside of the TikTok because I want to make sure I'm bringing my A game to this podcast, not just, you know, regurgitating TikTok videos. That would be terrible. There was a, they have A teams and they have B teams at Google. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, middle school basketball. You knew you were <laughs> in sixth grade. You didn't know if you were on the A team or the B team. But by eighth grade, oh, yes, you knew where you were a starter or not. And so they have that same concept at Google. And what they determined was ultimately their B teams tended to get better results than their A teams. So their A teams are their highest. And, and the, the theory is they're the highest on some of the STEM categories. Susie's the greatest coder. Oh, she's an A player. She's on the A team. And John is the best, you know, um, analyst or whatever. And so 
the B team tended to have people that scored higher in these uh, non-STEM categories of emotional EQ and then just straight up IQ and critical thinking skills. So I thought that was really interesting. So as we think about how do we build teams and how do we make them higher performing, um, we've talked about this a little bit before. And when you're looking at putting people in charge, whether that's as a supervisory role or just a project management role, Sometimes um, the softer skills um, are a better leading indicator, I think, of who's going to be successful. Uh, what's your kind of impression or thoughts of that? Well, I think that's really interesting feedback. Yeah, so, you know, I've been trained, and I had mentioned this on a previous podcast uh, in the predictive index, and, and team building is one of the aspects of the uh, technology and the um, – and then kind of, you know, how do you put teams together and what, you know, kind of quadrants people fall in. And, you know, what you described is, you know, you know, the kind of employee experience, right? There is a real emphasis early in that list on employee experience. When you're sitting with a hard charging CEO, right, they're not thinking about, you know, you know how we're going to get the greatest production is by being inclusive and being diversified and valuing opinions and you know they're they're talking about you know results and discipline and process yep. and and precision you know that didn't even come up right like you know what makes a great employee is the person that you know, follows the process precisely over and over and over and over again and maybe if there were a manufacturing company that would have been an emphasis but you know the you know, it kind of was like, hey, first is employee engagement. Second is innovation and critical thinking, right? You know, those are two kind of two of the of the four areas. But I, I think if uh, if an executive team looks at priorities, right, and says, hey, you know, these next couple of years, you know, th these priorities are most important to us, whether that be the employee engagement or process of precision or, you know, hardline results or innovation, right? You know, if, if that's the primary focus, you, you look, you can look and see what kind of people you have and kind of map, you know, people abilities and personalities to those goals. But uh, I can totally see how a team of potentially the the B team that has people who are team players, that has people who are collaborative, who have people on the team that, you know, want the team to do well versus maybe the A team that has a bunch of driving personalities, their idea is the best idea. They may be the technically the best, but if you get you know, five people in the room who all think they're the smartest person in the room, right? Versus yeah. the other five people who uh, are like, well, they're more collaborative and, you know, we'll take a good idea and execute against it. Um, you know, I could see why that B team would end up producing at a, at a better result than, than yeah. that A team. Um, so that's really interesting. I think that's a really insightful that, and, and that was, not done by employee survey, but rather than, you know, looking at best results and pulling best results out, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so we like have this little thing we call the cultural corner. Uh, that's really, the kids love it is what I hear. That's the feedback we get. 
So this week I wanted to talk about the power of the direct email. I see, uh, and for 20 years I've seen this, I think email continues to be one of the biggest killers of uh, productivity. We've talked about the reply all before. I see people, and I'm gonna call it the negative power of the soft CC. So if we're working with a number of different groups and we, you know, part of our jobs are to um, convince or to influence people that don't work for us to do something, right? Um, whether it's to help us or to help us understand the right process or to alter the process for something. And so what I see sometimes is, is a, a person will say, I want John and his group to do something. And so I'm gonna send an email to John, but I'm also gonna copy my boss and I'm gonna copy John's boss. Oh, and I may copy these other five or six other people that are kind of interested in it because I feel like the more people I put on this email chain, the more power I will, it will contain. And my experience is the exact opposite is true. If you were to strip everybody else away and just send an email to John and only John and say, hey John, I really need this to be done. Can we get together? Can you let me know the process? If you can't do it, can you point me to who can do it? And what happens is when John gets the first email with you know 20 people copying on it, it's real easy for John just to look at that email and go, well, there's, my boss is copied. This guy, Jeff's boss is copied. Everybody's copied. It's not really, I don't have to answer to this because there's a bunch of people on there. So I'm just gonna ignore it. Um, but when you get an email that is just to you, you can still ignore it, but it's not possible for you to really escape that accountability. And so my cultural corner advice is strip away all the CCs. They, every time you add a person in the CC, I think it dissipates the power of your intended message. Instead, be direct, send it to the one person that can take care of it. And if they can't take care of it, go to the next one person. And so that's my cultural corner. It's the power of the direct email. What are your thoughts there? So I like that. I would say if we ever get back into offices and we're working together in the same building, mm -hmm. I would say walk over and have that conversation, right? So many sure, people yeah. don't do that, right? You know, just walk, walk the halls, get to know people, get to know the rhythm, you know, when you can catch them in their office or when's a good time to catch them and, and grab them face-to-face -face or video chat them face-to-face, -face, um, you know, or pick up the phone and call them, right? You know, so that seems to be dying, you know, as a, yes. as a, a form of communication. And, uh, but yeah, you know, I, um, but, you know, be direct. You know, I, I think then if you're just emailing them, right, then the onus is on them to respond because now they're, there's no one else to respond besides them. That's right. There's nowhere to hide. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, well, that's a great episode. Vince, any other closing thoughts on, um, you know, the title of the episode was, how do you get to top characteristics of successful workers? So we thought... In general, it's soft skills that drive success, maybe a little bit more than what um, previously we thought. And so in the wintertime, what we've learned is that you like to listen to cold, depressing, 
yeah, wet, dreary. wet, dreary music. Is that, yeah. is that murky? Murky, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I'll walk upstairs and I'll say to my son, can I tell you something? He'd be like, what? And I'm like, I'm hungry for love and it's lunchtime. That, com- that comes from Feed My Frankenstein. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, how can people get in touch with you, Vince? Uh, best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn, Vincent. Catanzaro, C-A-T-A-N-Z-A-R-O. Perfect. Uh, Same with me, probably LinkedIn, Jeff Niebuhr, N-I-E-B-U-H-R. All right, thanks a lot. Everybody have a great day. We uh, will talk to you next week. Thanks, Jeff. You have been listening to Meet the New Bus with Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Available on Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. Please like and subscribe. Meet the New Bus is sponsored by Rene Vincent Executive Placement LLC. Contact Jeff at jeff.nieber at iCloud.com or find him on LinkedIn at Jeff Nieber. Contact Vince at Vincent at renevincent.win or find him on LinkedIn at Vincent Catanzaro. Bumper music provided by The Who and Budafi. Additional engineering provided by Just In Time Recordings. All material 100% controlled by Vincent Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Unauthorized reproduction is prohibited by law. Meet the new bus.